Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of Bull vs. Bear, the IC's new podcast series where we pit two company specialists with opposing views against each other. This week, Ocado, a real Marmite stock, whose supporters think it has a bright future thanks to its impressive technology platform, while adversaries are concerned by the lack of financial visibility, sky-high valuation and rising costs. Not long ago, Ocado was one of the most shorted companies on the London stock market, but a number of positive announcements have helped its share price nearly double in the last year. To battle out the bull and bear cases today, I've been joined by James Lockyer, an analyst at Peel Hunt who rates the company as a buy based on the potential of its proprietary technology platform, and Harriet Russell, the IC sectors editor and retail expert who put Ocado back onto a sell recommendation following the recent financial results. So Harriet, let's start there. Why were you so unimpressed by Ocado's announcement this week? I think primarily the main disappointment was twofold, which was news of a share placing and news that the profitability for the current financial year, which is FY18, they're going to be hurt by the amount they're going to have to spend on these new contracts that they've signed. And so private investors at least won't see any return yet again on their money. And the market took that quite badly, despite the fact that there was a little bit more visibility given in the results over just what those contracts will actually cost. They did come up with a figure, at least for the current financial year. But either way, the market sent the shares down 7%, which probably speaks for itself. So James, as a tech analyst, what were you looking for in those results? The fact that there was a miss to the EBITDA for this year, the way that I saw that was it wasn't an operational issue. It was a strategic decision that they'd made. The the question was, do we hire more staff now? Do we invest now so we can accelerate our ability to do more deals as they come? Or do we hold headcount flat and therefore take on less deals and do them slower, which means actually investors will see returns even further than they potentially could do. On the placing, I think the placing is another good signal. The fact that they've done these two deals already. Well, I think it's four deals overall. We've also got Morrison's, the local regional player, and then uh, Casino and Salby's. But the fact they've done this placing is a signal for their belief that going forwards they'll do a lot more of that. And to your point around stock market reaction on the day 7% down, obviously that was the same day that the entire market fell out of the sky as well. Talk about the the contracts. So two recent contracts or sort of the last six months that Ocado's managed to sign. Harriet, these have been quite a long time coming. Yeah, we're two two years behind schedule, really, in terms of where the company expected to be. As James said, they signed Morrison's way back 2012-ish, I think. And that deal in itself has had to be augmented. It was um, a very good deal for Ocado at the time and seen as a very poor deal for Morrison's. That was when it was under Dalton Phillips. Mr. Phillips is obviously no longer with the business, left under a bit of a cloud. And since then, the new Morrison's chief, David Potts, has completely reconfigured that deal to make it more favourable for Morrison's. Not only that, Morrison's has also signed a supply agreement with Amazon in that time, which the Amazon threat, I think, isn't often discussed as much as it should be with Ocado. So for me, the Morrison's sort of indicator of of how they see themselves sort of playing the grocery game in the next sort of five years and and seeing how it develops is is an interesting one. These two international deals that have been recent, they've actually had three, but the first one was an unnamed partner. The last two, obviously, as you mentioned, have been named. And they've put incredible momentum behind the stock. You know, I hold my hands up when I was telling people to sell the shares last year. um, It started to look a bit ridiculous and you can only sell into so much strength before you just look like you're getting it wrong. 
But at the same time, there was a lot of frustration from several analysts who were saying, we have, we have no idea what these deals actually mean in financial terms. And that was something that a lot of investors were looking for from these results this week. And like I say, they came up with sort of a capex bill for this year. They've sort of incrementally mentioned capex effect per agreement as they've come out. But it's been very difficult to sort of bring the sum of the parts together. My issue with the share placing is for some bizarre reason, they didn't choose to sort of publicly price it very clearly. So I think it was actually Peel Hunt, you came up with sort of a a rough estimate based on the prior day's closing price. So it gives you a sum of about 155 million from that placing. Bear in mind that the company's got a net debt position, which is greater than that, and their capex bill for the coming year is 210 million. It doesn't look like a massively well-funded position to be starting such a capital-heavy phase of their growth cycle. So I think from a private investor's point of view, you are going to be paying God knows what, quite frankly, because breaking that valuation down is, is difficult to fund a company that is sort of already having to come to the market and, and tap its investors for, for future funds. James, any response to all of those points? Yes. So in terms of the where we are today versus a couple of years ago, so I do agree the weakness in the stock price over the past couple of years, for the past few months notwithstanding, was down to the fact that they did Morrison's and they said, we'll have another one and then we'll have another one and then it didn't happen. And the rationale for that is, is I think, it's quite simple. The technology that Morrison's had originally was at the uh, the Dorden CFC, which was basically miles and miles of conveyor belts going back and forth and a, and a box that travels from one side of the warehouse going through multiple departments where humans are there running up and down and picking stuff up and then eventually that box coming out the other end. Obviously much more efficient than a store pick model anyway, but... What they've now shifted to and why the deals are a lot better, actually the technology they're using now is even better than it was in the other place. So the new technology at Andover and at Erith, once it opens, is based on, it's a cage effect. And on top of that, it's a grid, basically on top of that, you've got robots that scoot up and down along the X, Y axis, picking up individual items and then taking them to a picking station so that human does not have to move anywhere and they sit there and the robots bring the items to them so a lot more efficient when the old warehouses used to fulfill an order in one to two hours these new ones can do it in five to ten minutes so obviously a lot more efficient there in terms of all these metrics that you'll see in the presentation they're also investing in robotic hands and other forms of technology that it could eventually mean the next Erith could be completely automated, no humans at all. And that means it could run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Efficiencies are plenty. So the difference between where we were with Morrison's originally, the New Deal and where we are today is because there's been a lot of change in the technology. Going forwards, these deals have been you know been waiting but it's been waiting for this new technology Accardo have only recently started to see a lot of traction with this new technology increasing the capacity and usage within it so casino wanted to see it in action before it bought it logically enough so they're now happy with it you know obviously signed up with this and then we can talk about this sort of the amazon the amazon issue or a potential threat within a radius of that warehouse is possible given they do now five to ten minutes it's possible to do same day delivery at some point in the future and one of the things about amazon and the and the morrison's deal on on amazon is you can get food same day 
but it's only in certain locations around the country, etc. So that at some point is, I think they even said they've done in some places, they already do it within a certain radius. So once Erith opens, which is in the bottom right hand corner of London, within the M25, London could be open to that. So from the user experience perspective, obviously Amazon is slightly ahead in terms of those things, but Ocado is going to catch up soon. Is that not a bit of a concern, though, that Amazon, one of the biggest companies in the world, the capacity and seemingly the cash to do whatever it wants, is already ahead of Ocado? Is it always going to be playing catch up with one of the world's most successful companies? In terms of catch up, when we look at the most recent Prime Now, which is Amazon's same day delivery, the most recent one opened up in Singapore. And it was, again, people running around a warehouse picking things off shelves. So when you're doing things like that, they're not yet using automation. Could Amazon, you know, do the technology that Ocado is employing? Probably. It hasn't yet. You know, it is not there yet. It, as you say, it's been, it's been this world's biggest you know, tech company. It's, it's, it's investing so much, but it hasn't done that. What it has done is acquired Whole Foods. So it's going, it's going down a different angle. It's now entering the physical world. And if we think back to Sears, which used to be a catalogue business in the time, that went from a catalogue to a, to a storefront business. So it's not unusual for a catalogue online to go to a store base. So I think it's going down that angle. If anything... We could look to Walmart and think acquisition potential could be Walmart thinking about uh, Ocado at some point. What are your views on that, Harriet? Well, of course, the LSE classes it as a food and drug retailer, which I think when you look at the peer group for that, it bears little resemblance to a traditional supermarket. So combine that with the valuation that the market has attributed and the two things cannot sit side by side. I think it's a technology provider and now it's an almost construction outfit as well and you know the way that the market values that is is correct because it's it's valuing it as a blue sky technology business and i think it's very dangerous therefore for private investors to consider it in the same sentence as sainsbury's or morrison's or tesco for my money tesco is a much more interesting bet if you want to really consider investing in a supermarket their upcoming merger with booker which has pretty much been given the green light now you know to me that creates a whole different sort of integrated business that is sort of still shying away from what amazon does sort of sitting in amazon's shadow i think is a, is a more dangerous game and of course i think what is interesting interesting with Amazon is that two years ago, really, when I was starting to really look at Ocado in a lot of detail, there was a lot of speculation that Amazon was coming for Ocado. And there were sort of stories popping up in the broadsheets rather strangely. And nothing happened. I mean, the shares rocketed 20%. Ocado said nothing. And lo and behold, it all fizzled away again. And so my question in a similar way as to why hasn't Amazon invested yet in this sort of technology is why hasn't it bought Ocado yet if it's really interested in that? And for my point of view, it's because Ocado has invested so heavily in its own business and has this pie in the sky valuation. I don't know that Amazon's really prepared to pay that much for it. So if the Ocado bosses are sat around the board table thinking that they're building a prospective target for Amazon, then I think I think that's a losing game. But do you think the potential of an acquisition might be in the price a little bit with Ocado? No, I think most of the price momentum that we've seen lately has been driven entirely by news flow because it's the news flow that investors have waited for for so long. And they've been exactly what Ocado said they would be, albeit 
24 months behind schedule, which is that they're international and they're large scale deals. Again, in terms of their value, we're not really sure yet because they're not providing that much visibility on how earnings accretive they're going to be. They've given sort of a rough timeline, which basically equates to don't expect anything much in the near term. And here are sort of the rough costs. But, you know, the Canadian deal, for example, the most recent one, they're going to build a big fulfillment centre out in Toronto. In itself, it's going to take two years to build. So my concern is that the industry has moved so fast for grocery in the last five years, literally, that by the time that distribution centre is up and running, God knows what the industry is going to look like then. And I don't think it's fair to ask private investors to help them fund that. I think it's it's incumbent upon the institutions if they can deal with the dilution effect from further share placings, which I suspect will happen, to keep that going. It's not fair to ask average Joes to keep piling their money into into this sort of operation. Interesting. James, you don't even like comparing Ocado to the supermarkets, do you? Why, why is that? Why do you choose to compare to the tech stocks? I'll pick up on a couple of points from what, what you said in a second. But on the on the on the supermarket issue, yes, I mean it's there's a number of differences. I mean, clearly, it doesn't have any stores. That's the first thing. Uh, so therefore, it doesn't have logistical elements of going first to you know first from your to your distribution centre, then to your spokes, then to your stores. Doesn't have that element to it. Doesn't have you know the the issues of humans walking around. And obviously, what these guys do do is when they do an online proposition, as as other high street retailers do is they pick you know they walk around the store and pick you know there's sort of anecdotes around the fact that no supermarket has been able to do a profitable online option yet given the fact that you know if i'm going to tesco's i'm spending 50 pounds i'm doing the walking i'm doing the picking i'm doing that and i'm doing the driving home whereas if i order from tesco's online i may spend 50 pounds but then they have to pay someone to walk pay someone to deliver and pay someone to do that there are a few dark stores that are like the warehouses but they've said they're not going to invest any more of that they wanted to make use of their store suite in terms of what that what Arcado are providing why theirs is different they are a profitable retail business the retail elements you know which is their online supermarket portion is profitable and it, and it's you know they talked about a 10 percent contribution roughly from from that side of it and that's what they'll be providing to morrison's that's what we'll be providing to group casino and, and, uh, and, and etc so it is a supermarket but the way that i i sort of come at it is well it may have been but Arcado 2.0 is now a tech platform that happens to work in food retail vertical at the moment. It may do other things in the, in the future. And again, in terms of what the value it's going to drive f- from these deals. So if we think about uh, Morrison's last year, sort of roughly about 300 million online revenue, a portion of that comes to comes to Ocado and they saw about 100 million, 117 million that they wrote in, the, in their press release. But what are they actually selling? What, you know, that money comes in, but what are the costs associated with that from a P&L perspective, firstly? Not as much as buying food and selling the food on. So the margin is going to be a lot higher. You look at the likes of SAP, you know, which provides software licenses to to its business, 20% margins, 30% margins for software business. This one, potentially for a portion of it, could head towards those those margins at some point in the future. On cash from a previous question that we talked about, what the company have said is they are now, after the raise, fine in terms of cash for the next few years for the deals they've got. If they get any more deals, they'll head back to the capital market. So if they decide to just, well, if nothing comes along, they're fine for cash. Asking for more cash means more deals. It's good. It's an upward rotation. And then uh, Amazon, why Amazon wouldn't, you know, hasn't bought them, hasn't looked at them well. It went down the road of Whole Foods. You know, it, it can invest itself, but it hasn't invested yet. So I think, you know, it. I don't think these guys are looking for an Amazon acquisition from them. 
The final thing really to talk about is the valuation. Harriet, from a retail perspective, is just, you can't even put a sensible valuation on it. But James, from a tech perspective, you've got other ideas. So just briefly, do you two want to sum up? Well, I don't really have an idea because the market doesn't have an idea in terms of its valuation. I think I put it through a very basic model yesterday that we sort of hash at the IC through through the results season. And the historic PE for the sort of trailing last 12 months was 2,883. So if you're willing to pay that many times historical earnings for it, then uh, then be my guest. And in terms of forward, you know, it doesn't make any money. So it's, it's very difficult to do it on a traditional price to earnings. Which is how you value a supermarket. It is. I mean, there's an argument to say that I would value Tesco more in an EV to sales ratio, but that's because there's a sort of specific story there with Tesco to do with recovery and its operating margin. And I think one of the biggest problems that some of the bears in in the market with Ocado have is a gearing issue, which is they can't get a handle on how much improvement we're going to have to see at the top line, which, you know, to give Ocado its due quarter to quarter, it, it sees a tangible uptick most quarters. You know, it's not that people aren't using Ocado. But the level of gearing required in order to make any tangible difference at, at the bottom line when they're burning through this much money is uh, is something that has a lot of a lot of analysts worried. James, EV to sales is something that you've looked at with Ocado, but mainly EV to EBITDA. Yes, that's right. Where, the way that I think about it from, from tech stocks, most of them, they're, they're sort of not as mature as the larger companies. So what you'll find is even when we look at AO or Boohoo or, or ASOS, they are investing that revenue back into growth for the future. So value, if, if we were to say a company's earning 100 million and it's investing 100 million, therefore its EBITDA is zero, should we really view, value this company at zero? I think n- no. So there are occasions where I do look at EV sales. You know, you, arguably you could look at uh, EV sales for these guys, but I, to be a bit more robust, I do take you down to the next level, at least to EV EBITDA. And the way that I look at it, I look at it sort of twofold. Firstly, you've got the, the retail business, that is growing well. It's number two online supermarket with Tesco's being number one, but on from Kantar, it's the number two, which is a impressive feat to have versus, you know, some of the Sainsbury, some of the massive other players. So it's got its robust customer experience position to a number two in the UK. Uh, and it's that, therefore, that it's it's looking to sell out. So on that basis, EV but Dara met- metric on a from an e-commerce perspective is the way to look at it and it's trading arguably a little bit of a premium on that side of it at the moment but at the same time it's still growing market share it's still improving it's it's still growing it's you know it's obviously reduced its margin a little bit because of investment but from the retail side e-commerce is the way to look at it from an ev but dar perspective then we look at the licenses now as you say how do you how do you value that but what we have to think about is we look at morrison's 300 million after a few years roughly overall it gets about six percent take rate you know got one percent of revenue then you got some operating costs but roughly that to get to where we are today we've now got canada we've now got france and actually the fact that in, in canada it will take two years to fully build but because of this modular element is it could be up and running it not in two years so it's that side of it. you shouldn't have to wait two years for that so all these things with this new warehouse is meaning that you, you'll see values quicker. So for that side, you've got roughly 30 countries in Western Europe and other, including US, Australia. What's to say Ocado couldn't have half of those in sort of 15 years at the size of, of, of Morrison's at a 2-3% take rate? And that's sort of how, how I sort of value this, the second half. There is that potential there and I'm excited for it.
That's great. Thank you. Just to reiterate, the IC is currently recommending investors sell Ocado shares. We agree that the new deals have provided some momentum, but we don't think there's enough visibility to justify the valuation. And even from a tech angle, this is a very expensive long-term investment, which is too risky for private investors. James, Harriet, thank you very much for joining me and thank you all for listening. We'll be back for another edition of Bull vs. Bear soon, but in the meantime, head to our website for more IC podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.